Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nesting, and I listen to them too, there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Hello and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring fantasy play games as Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today, we're going to talk about the art in Arkham Horror. Why? Well, because it's fantastic, of course, but... Also, we reached out to the ether and pulled some incredible guests in to navigate us through what the art means to the game. Today, we're joined by MJ Newman and Jeff Lee Johnson. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hello. It's been so long since I've been on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for being here, both of you. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. So in case this is any of our listeners' first time, or for those who otherwise might not know you all, could you maybe introduce yourselves? Uh, Sure. So um, as I said the last time I was here, (laughs) uh, I'm MJ Newman. I'm the lead, uh, lead designer for Arkham Heart the Card Game. Uh, I've been working on the game since its inception, like, five years ago or so, which blows my mind. Um, and, uh, yeah, been basically working full-time in this game and nothing else for five years. Which is good for all of us. I'm I'm Jeff Lee Johnson. <laughs> I was a freelance illustrator for many years and found myself working as an art director with Fantasy Flight Games for the last four years. And... The very first title that I got uh, uh, my teeth into was Arkham Horror, working with uh, MJ. And uh, it's been uh, a hoot, to say the least, ever since. (laughs) Yeah, I think, uh, Jeff, you've been like the main art director for the game for like how long? Like two, three years? Yeah, I think, yeah, Uh, uh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, they they, uh, gave me that baby. I think since like Circle Undone, right? Was that your first? Uh, The Forgotten Age. Forgotten Age. Okay, that's right. That's right. I remember that. I remember (laughs) <laughs> every every time a mythos pack comes out or, or a campaign box, we always look at the art and just uh, talk about how great it is. So we're we're really excited to get to talk to the people most responsible for that, really, or, or at least uh, some of the some of the main people. So yeah, Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about just sort of how your uh, you know journey to become uh, art director of of this game happened, and uh, were anything that you worked on beforehand in your time as a freelance illustrator, or just sort of how you developed your particular style? Uh, sure. I I, uh, I was uh, classically trained in uh, in fine arts uh, at, at a young age, and uh, of course, there's a tremendous amount of, uh, of of money available for people that are trained in fine arts. So I went straight into making money another way, and uh, traveled the world for a long time. Ended up at the a nexus in my life about the same time that uh, computers came about. Uh, the internet uh, became a real thing, and the Wacom tablet was was developed. And all of those things just spoke to me as a way to get into uh, uh, the world of art that I, in, in a way that I couldn't have otherwise. And I spent a long time uh, as a freelance illustrator. Some of my first jobs really were with Fantasy Flight Games, but never in uh, Arkham Horror. Uh, I did a lot of uh, high fantasy and Star Wars art. Worked with them on at least a couple hundred illustrations. Uh, got to know the principal players in the company. The, uh, the head of the studio on speaking terms, and uh, I, I noticed one day that a position had opened up, and I thought, well, what would it be fun, useful, valuable to uh, to see how the sausage was made? 
And I asked him bluntly, you know, would you uh, would you ever have room for me as an art director? And I think he said something like, uh, would Tuesday be fine? And, uh, <laughs> and that be, I really literally became the beginning of my uh, career as an art director. And uh, uh, it's been quite a fun ride ever since. And, and as we mentioned, the very first uh, title that I worked on was was Arkham Horror, working on The Forgotten Age with uh, MJ. And it was just, it was everything I kind of have hoped for. The storytelling, the the mind bending, you know, uh, contexts, the opportunities were just fantastic, and it's been a, it, that's that's been my life uh, for the last four years. That's so cool. Yeah, although it's it's worth noting that that's not the first time that we worked together because you did art for Lord of the Rings, which was I the did. product that I worked on before Arkham. Really? Yeah. See now, I you know, I never... yeah. When you got hired, I knew your name. I was like, oh, Jeffrey Johnson. Like, I know who that is. <laughs> it's the artist of the Rohan Warhorse and shit. Like oh that. my god! <laughs> I was really, I was really excited. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I know it's kind of fun to have had a, a something of a, a of a career with Fantasy Flight on that level because many of the producers uh, were familiar with my name and w- didn't associate this person with that name until uh, sometime after I'd been in, you know around and they. Oh no, you're not that Jeff Johnson, and, you know, and, I, and it turns out, yes, I am. I am that guy. <laughs> as it turns out, as it turns out. And when we were when we were talking before the show, Jeff, I, I think you mentioned that uh, you were a little bit familiar with Lovecraft fiction and, and the mythos, but before you you started this job, but um, you kind of became a lot more involved in it as as part of this role. Is that, is that right? Oh, without a doubt. And I think the the storytellers, uh, the people that are uh, in our company that uh, are con- are in control of the story, have uh, depth and breadth of knowledge that um, just leaves me floored regularly. So I'm, I, I find I'm always on the outside looking in and pulling out of them the threads that I need to help us create the visual stories uh, that we uh, that we need to make this game just visually a treat, you know, to make it kind of a fun playground for people. And I know that art is a huge and important part of, of the experience of playing this game. Absolutely. Yeah. And before we move on, we should also mention that there have been a lot of other um, art directors who have touched this game. Um, for sure. And I'm probably going to skip a couple names, and I apologize, but uh, off the top of my head, Crystal Chang, Deborah Garcia, uh, Tim Flanders did uh, Tim Flanders, Preston Stone. Um, yeah, there have been a lot. Uh, Chelsea, Chelsea Lee Thompson. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, quite a quite a hall of fame for for uh, people, you know, delivering the visual experience of this game. So is it typical for sort of one person to be art director for all the products in a particular line like Arkham Horror the Card Game? Or is it sometimes sort of people come on and off particular products and there's like a rotation? Typically, an art director is going to have a focus on a game and a line and an intellectual property so that they can uh, immerse themselves a little bit in the uh, uh, the backstory and interact more uh, closely with the uh, the developers and, and story team. And that takes, you know, a lot of your bandwidth. And you want to be able to be fresh and on top of uh, each project and have a little backstory behind you, a little bit of uh, read-in to what uh, uh, each project is uh, uh, is going to ask of you. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's not too different from what we do on the development side, where like I I work primarily on Arkham, but I've also helped out with other games as well yeah. um, through my tenure as like Arkham lead designer. I'm still doing other things on the side as well. Very cool. Um, oh. Zoe Robinson. I forgot Zoe Robinson. I was like, oh my god, who am I forgetting? Zoe Robinson was instrumental uh, in creating the the sort of art style for the game when it first launched uh, in like the core set. She was my first art director, and I still consider her uh, my my mentor in this business. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, the game definitely had a really, I mean, Arkham Files in general, but, uh, this game in particular, I think did have a really strong visual style right from the beginning that was, that we, we really kind of loved immediately. Um, so, uh, most of us here are, are not artists and are, don't know anything when it comes to, to the process of, you know, designing art for something like this. Um, we'd be very interested to hear if, if you two could just sort of walk us through, uh, you know, what is your creative relationship like when you're working on a new product, like a new campaign or like a new, uh, you know, scenario or pack or something? What is the kind of like end to end journey of, uh, you know, creating the, creating or choosing the art that's going to be a part of it? Right. Um, so it starts on my end. Uh, it starts with development since uh, we're, you know, art starts very early in the in the journey of a product, right? It's one of the first things that we start working on, which is sometimes uh, a struggle because we don't know exactly what a scenario is going to look like from a gameplay mechanically uh, perspective. So very first thing that I tend to do is sort of outline the story and all of the story beats, and we come up with a list of cards that we're going to need, right? Like, okay, we know we're going to need these locations, and this character is definitely a big facet of it, and these enemies, and that sort of thing. And um, depending on what our timeline looks like, that might be all we have at that moment, is just like a a list of names. Um, Sometimes we'll have a lot more than that. Sometimes we'll have like an entire scenario done, like, and developed, and and like even play tested before we go to art. But sometimes it's kind of quite the opposite. Um, so we'll bring, we'll, and then, um, development will start writing, uh, what we call art briefs, which are a pretty basic description of what the art piece is. So like what the card type is, what the, what is appearing in the art, and then some details, some descriptive details about, uh, the creatures or the location or the people that you're going to see in the art. And then from there, it goes to a pretty extensive review phase. Uh, it gets reviewed by a lot of people. It gets reviewed by the Arkham Files uh, story team, who will go through every single art brief and make sure that the IP notes make sense, that like this monster is being represented the way that it looks in the IP, and this character is being represented correctly, and you know everything works out. Um, it'll go through a, a sensitivity panel to make sure that we have like uh, a nice diverse set of characters with different ethnicities and genders and whatnot. And and also like every location is being represented in a in a in a good way, um, and then finally the art team themselves will groom it. Uh, well, actually, well they'll 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 go through and they'll review it, and then we'll have what we call a grooming meeting, <laughs> where we we groom the pieces, pick nets um, out yeah. of one another's <laughs> stories. And... <laughs> right, um, and then from there, uh, so we we go through like an extensive process where me and Jeff and everyone else involved. Uh, we'll sit down and just go through every piece one by one and just edit them, make sure that they're all perfect. Uh, and then from there, it's basically hands off for me and it's all Jeff. So, Jeff? <laughs> ah, well, uh, you know, uh, once <laughs> once we've gotten through a grooming meeting, we've uh, we've taken those great stories and we've uh, taken each individual uh, uh, unit, we call them, and uh, we try to make this one story come to life within the... Uh, the box that it's going to be in because every piece of art has a frame. And we, our job really, the hardest job that we have, the most important job we have is to know the artist pool that we're working with and to apply the talents and vision of each artist to each individual unit that we assign them. And uh, that's the vast majority of our effort is to, is to understand who we're going to be uh, using for any given project and why. And it's always a function of, uh, of understanding uh, what the what the range of the artist is, what they're most likely going to enjoy, 
a painting and then giving them that and uh, and nurturing them along the way uh to uh, to a good end and uh, you know it starts at the the sketch phase and we uh, often uh, I include MJ in uh, in virtually all of uh, the sketches so that we get some kind of IP feedback, and then uh, I give uh, the artist direction that not only is based on uh, that that feedback, but are uh, uh, you know to make sure that they're they're telling the best possible visual story within the context of their own uh, story making predilection, and uh, and we will massage it to final, and uh, uh, and I'm always uh, uh, making sure that MJ is aware of of each you know new final that comes in because I know I can just sense you know even remotely how exciting <laughs> it is for them to pull you know open up the you know the the piece of art and they're as gleeful as I am and uh, you know uh, it's the best it is it's the best it's, the, it's like Christmas it's it is and the artists all surprise it's like us Christmas and I'm a Jew oh it's <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's just super fun and then you know because we're it's it's one of our own ips we don't have a licensing review or anything like that and as soon as everybody signs off on it i get the the to rel- the, the one moment that i relish the most is I, I pat the artist in the back thank them very much and make sure that they get paid you know and that's nice. just, it's so fun <laughs> yeah you know coming uh, you know from from the point of view of a freelancer it i know how valuable it is for the artist to to get the, the, the recognition that, that they've, they've really done a good job. And then also to make sure that, you know, they're, they're getting, you know, that their compensation for all the good work that they did. And, and I'm often letting them know that, uh, that they're going to be hearing from me. You know, this is not the end. <laughs> this is the beginning where we've got more work for you. We've got another thing coming and there always seems to be. You have that perspective because you were in their shoes, right? right. You were on the freelance side of things. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I think it's very valuable. I, I can only imagine how exciting that is to, yeah, to get like the, you know, the final version of the art that has been commissioned. And it's, it's, it's like, you know, you came up with the idea or you worked with other people to come up with the, with the right. idea and then you get to see it fully realized by these really talented artists. That's got to be just incredibly, incredibly great. Uh, I would say that, yeah, that it's very satisfying. Yeah. 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 No doubt. And I, <laughs> from an artist's point of view, and, and there really is nothing that can, that can compare to making art, but art direction is pretty close. It really is. It's pretty darn close. It's uh, it's very very close. Super satisfying at the end of the day. So so and and Fantasy Flight has I I assume kind of like a, a rolodex of like artists that that they commonly work with. Mm-hmm. Um, do you are these mostly like do people kind of send in portfolios that they're kind of artists that are getting started or do you go hunting on ArtStation and other sites like where do you where do you kind of find new artists to add to the the, the uh, squad? You 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 pick the two ways. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't have to elaborate on that other than that uh, uh, we're also out in the world. As uh, as an artist, I have uh, a lot of contacts in the art world myself and uh, uh, people that I've known over time. And uh, and some of them are, you know, have never worked with Arkham before, but they but I bring them in because I know that they're capable of doing a, a particular thing that we need done uh, in a way that nobody else could do it. And uh, and then I take that relationship to another level and we, we give them some, some work to do. And I can think of a few really good artists that I've done that for. And then it's scouring the internet, keeping my eyes and ears open, uh, uh, getting influences from, uh, uh, from, uh, other people, uh, my, my fellow art directors who stumble across somebody, somebody's maybe met somebody or, or, uh, uh run across, a, you know, something like this, maybe, you know, where, uh, where, where, uh, maybe somebody that I wasn't aware of is, is, is producing something that's really interesting. And it might just, you know, usually it's a little bit of karma, a little bit of kismet where, uh, uh, the, the timing 
matches uh, the artist and uh, and uh, we get to make that little magic happen where uh, um, things time out just perfectly and and somebody's doing something that they they were just about just perfectly ready to do at just the right time and uh, uh, their work shows that that it's just a it's a perfectly timed thing and that we love we love that when that happens the art department absolutely loves to to make our artists uh, you know super happy with what they did you know yeah and you know like every every artist has their own style every artist has their own like trademark right and so sometimes there's a need to like go and find an artist with a very distinct style yeah um and like go hunting for one and i the the time that uh comes to mind for me is the tarot cards uh and and we we found lenka and we were like oh my goodness it's so perfect (laughs) just the first sketches came in and i could not believe how lucky we were I mean, it was just... I think I spent more time writing those descriptions than anything else I've ever written in my life. <laughs> those are, yeah, MJ brought that up when we when we talked to her recently just about, like, high points recently in the game, but absolutely both uh, on an artistic level as well. Those just look incredible. Yeah, and yeah. she's incredibly fun uh, to, to, to uh, work with as well. Uh, you know, just a, a very intelligent, uh, very thoughtful. Um, these all... You know, the descriptions that we would send uh, would surprise you with how simple they are, given how amazing her, her art is. But, you know, they're simple, but they have a structure in this in integrity and story that MJ is able to put into it that uh, uh, she just understood immediately. She got it, what we were asking for right away. And uh, um, we were all... Yeah, she really took the exactly out of my mind's eye. Right? Right. I know. Ooh, we were on the wow. same level. Right. <laughs> Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. You don't get very many of those, but you love them when you do. So in some cases, yeah, you're working with an artist that may not have worked on, you know, specifically card games or even, you know, board games in general before. So you might have to sort of, are there kind of things that you have to tell them, like, this is the sort of style that that, that we're looking for. Like, this is the role that this needs to play and it needs to be visible in this little square and things like that. Yeah. We make them aware of uh, the, uh, uh, boundaries of their art their the, the frame that they're going to have to work in uh, each uh, uh each card frame has its own um pitfalls and advantages that you can play to but you have to make an artist you have to read an artist right. into it right away so that they can uh, compose to uh, uh to the to the frame that they're they're going to play in and uh yeah it's it's not it's important to keep make them aware of, uh, you know, when you're bringing an artist in, uh they may not be aware of uh, Arkham Horror. Uh, so you have to kind of give yeah. them a, a, a primer, and we do have a style guide that uh, that gives a kind of a basic exposition of the visual style of Arkham Horror, and of course, then uh, we trust that they're also going to do their research. And uh, with the inter- interwebs, webs, you're uh, you're gonna you know you just type in Arkham Horror, and you can find out a lot visually. And and artists have yeah. a very good sense of of, of where to look to get uh, their inspiration and and, uh, and how to tailor their stuff. But we, we're always very careful to find artists that are already producing imagery that can be applied to the work that we're asking them to do. Yeah, and it's also important, um, like part of my responsibility in writing the briefs is including references and very detailed descriptions of everything mm-hmm. so that I'm not relying on the artist to know what I'm talking about. I have to write it in such a way that they they get it immediately. So right. for example, I can't just say like a cultist rides on a night gaunt. That's not enough. Like mm-hmm. they don't know what a night gaunt is. Right. I mean, they might <laughs> if they've worked on Arkham Horror before, but I can't guarantee that. So I have to then 
go and describe what a Nikon is and collect some reference images and put those together and create like a whole night gaunt section of, of the brief. And then same thing with, you know, anything cultist, even just cultist, right? Like that's a loaded term. It can mean all kinds of different things. So like, what is the cultist wearing? What do they look like? What are they, what is the cult? You know, (laughs) um, there's a lot of things that we take for granted when we're writing, um, a description and it's important to, uh, make sure that the artist has all the information that they need to to just like get it, you know? Right. Yeah, and you it, have to kind of bring them into your world a little bit, right? Yes, yeah. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh it, it you you have to uh recognize that we're uh, working with an international uh group of artists, many of whom have English as a second language. They're using Google Translate, uh so uh we have to be very careful to to keep our briefs uh very visual. Very, uh, we have to help help yeah. them understand that there's a picture in there, and uh, we have to do it in this in the simplest yeah. and most direct way. And and as MJ would say, you know, we have to describe a Nikon instead of say Nikon, and we have to describe a cultist right. instead of say cultist. Yeah, and then also like avoiding like overly flowery language, even though it might sound amazing. Sometimes it can be a struggle for <laughs> for artists uh, who are not like English is not their first language. And yeah, so it's not about writing a an appealing sounding uh, paragraph of words, which is what I do as a writer. It's about conveying the information to the artist that they need, mm. which is a very mm. different writing skill. Yeah, but it's interesting that you do definitely kind of bring in artists that you know you wouldn't like immediately think of as being sort of uh, spooky horror type uh you know visual style like i know we're all big uh netrunner fans except ben so we we get really excited whenever we <laughs> see an animus doyle card because you know <laughs> we remember like the shiny glowing programs from netrunner that we really liked and in in arkham horror the card game there's like a similar style like on butterfly effect and stuff where it's sort of like an abstract yeah. um it's just neat to see that same kind of someone's skills applied to these like two different universes very different well, it's funny you yeah. mentioned that because uh, that's a, that's an artist in particular who excels at that kind of abstract art, surrealist, like almost metaphorical, metaphorical. sort of art. And there mm-hmm. are definitely there are definitely cards in Arkham Horror that like fit that motif like perfectly, you know. So we'll go out of our way to find an artist who's great at that sort of surrealist art, you know. Would you say, MJ, that at this time you're uh, you're actually writing some of these briefs, expecting these artists to to be applied to these? Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We know we have these storytellers that can tell these metaphorical stories, and, and it's, a, it's such an advantage right. that we, we want to we wanna keep them helping us tell that story. There, there have been times I've written an art brief, and I've read it, and I'm like, am I insane? Like, this isn't going to make any sense to anyone <laughs> but me. And then I hand it off, and then, like, it looks perfect. It just looks like so good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like, there's a couple that come to mind for sure. And there's stuff that I'm working on right now that comes to mind, but it's definitely like, um, I agree like that. Yeah. That's an artist in particular who's very good at that kind of style. Yeah. Wow. We, we love those people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do. Uh, so just talking about how you communicate with artists, um, I'm curious to what extent the sort of like actual mechanics and, and rules text is, does that ever end up in the actual brief? Like this is an enemy with three health or this is a location of the shroud. Or I, I assume the artists mostly are, are not like super on that uh, in that sphere of things. So we would not include any very specific rules text um, because we don't expect our artists to like be people who play the game or know the rules of the game. 
But that's something that I take into account when I'm writing the mm. the brief, because if I know, for example, that this is a card, this is an art piece that's going to represent a card that does X, I want that art to convey that mm-hmm. as much as I can get. So I'll sort of incorporate that. And there have been times where I have written, like, this is a very powerful enemy, so please make it look really dangerous. Or this is a very um, important character, so please make sure that, you know, the... I don't know, the focus is on them rather than the scene around them or something like that, um, because I know those those details. So I want to make sure that the art team also knows that so that they can convey that to the artist. It's like a telephone <laughs> game almost. So the artist can convey it to the player who actually picks up the card, right? Sure. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's always a focus uh, in each uh, art brief that's important in directing the artist to uh put a focus on something and and for instance we'll have a you know in in the game you're you're picking something up and you're running with it, you're putting it in your pocket you're going to be using it the focus has to be on that thing and and uh some of our artists uh, uh their initial sketch might suggest that they're more interested in uh in expanding the story but we really need them to kind of focus on that thing because that's the that's the the thing that the the player is going to put in their pocket and uh, and my art direction is going to tell them to uh you know, maybe uh, uh, zoom in on this thing. And yeah, I love the story you're telling, but you can allude to it in the, you know, uh, you know, in the uh, uh, the side uh, to the side. But just give us this thing, and you know, and, and make that the the center of your story. And whatever ever that thing is, it could be you know uh, an action, or it could be a, an event, or it could be uh, you know an actual thing that you're picking up off the street. Right. So, like as an example, I just thought of a really good example. I think to represent this, um, borrowed time. Uh, borrowed time is a card, uh, that it's a ritual, if you don't know, that lets you, like, sort of bank actions and save them for later. And, like, so it sort of manipulates the flow of time in a way. And the art brief that I wrote was, like, it's a, it's a stopwatch that's been, like, broken apart and you can see the individual, like, pieces of it. But I needed to convey that this is not just, like, a broken watch on a table or something. This is a, a metaphorical representation of a spell that like breaks time. Um, and so I did go a little bit into detail. Like this is what this, what this spell does is it lets you alter the flow of time essentially by allowing you to speed up or slow down your turn. And I think that the end result speaks for itself where if you look at the card, you're like, Oh yeah, no, that's absolutely what it does. But it could have very easily, like if I had not written it that, that way, it could have easily like, been misinterpreted or you know that sort of thing right so. and this is when the art director has to be very careful to uh to understand uh that this is a metaphor and this isn't uh this this is not literal <laughs> right is that yeah i mean we just have a few artists <laughs> we have a half a dozen people that uh that uh we rely on regularly to take these impossible briefs and turn into <laughs> <laughs> turn into amazing stories and they're always among the the best and most memorable so pieces of art that we produce for that set, it's always the case, you know, because they're just yeah. they're just breaking they're the rules, and uh, and that's the funnest. I'm thing. always floored by the hyper realistic pieces too. Oh boy, those are oh my god, like a hand holding an item. That's like some of the hardest art to possibly <laughs> make, and oh my goodness, like always knocked out of the park. Always. Yeah, because it is. I mean. Because some cards are, you know, an object or a location or, or even like a someone backstabbing somebody that it has kind of a natural, obviously there's a lot of room for creativity, but like there is a kind of like straightforward way to depict it. And then on the other hand, you definitely have in this game concepts like uh, predestined, you know, doom and ominousness right. or things that are like much more abstract. And, and it sounds like those are harder to sort of harder to find a way to express. 
Go ahead, paint the universe. It can be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put Cthulhu in the middle is, of it. Is there a card in this game or Arkham Files that is like showing the entire universe? There might be. I can't think of one. Um, Edge of the world. Or I mean, pre- predestined has like the. Solar I mean, there's system. the Edge of the Universe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> See, they, like, yeah, that's probably it. It's old school. Dunwich <laughs> cycle. That's it's super fun to get to to watch these people because they're they're all like like i mentioned before they're they surprise us they and and we're 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 uh we're always thinking outside of the box and yet these people are you know uh, they're always way ahead of us i think you know mm. uh, and and yeah, that, every single one of the artists that we work on uh that we work with is immensely talented yeah 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 so so yeah you mentioned uh sort of a style guide or sort of like a you know the visual kind of identity of of, of Arkham Files and Arkham Horror the card game. One thing that we really love about it is you know we we're, we're kind of movie nerds and the art is very cinematic, right? Yes. It really feels like it's it's borrowing a lot from cinema and, and and from films. You know there's like you're framing things in a cinematic way, there's interesting lighting. Can you talk about like particular filmmakers or films that have been really influential in 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 the art for this game? It's actually really funny you say that because I know when Zoe was putting together, I think it's the same style guide, right? The one that Zoe put together. Mm -hmm. Um, She studied a bunch of horror films. Um, And so that was actually like, yeah, you you hit (laughs) the nail on the head there. She went through a bunch of horror films and and used that for inspiration. And I think like uh, Hitchcock for sure was a big one. But off the top of my head, I don't remember a lot of the other ones, but it was very much like yeah, like there's framing techniques um, that are used to convey horror, even in a piece that's not like viscerally scary. You know what I mean? We, we always, if we had like a bingo card, every time we see a Dutch angle, we kind of go like, oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without a yeah. doubt. Yeah. I was thinking a, 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 a movie that needs no introduction, uh, uh, the, the scariest part of which is just two little girls sitting in a hallway. Little twins holding hands. <laughs> yes. That's the scariest part of this very scary movie. And uh, there's, you know, yeah. that's just all context and storytelling, putting it in the right mood. I think we did that same uh, that same shot in the Excelsior Hotel. Yes. <laughs> just minus the two girls. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Hotels are scary. We don't talk about it enough, but there is something really <laughs> creepy about hotels. And if there's any, you know, Especially like latent karma that's associated with any of those hotels, it's, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to uncover <laughs> the story. Let's put it that way. I like the manager. He's pretty cool. The hotel manager. Uh, oh, yeah. You mean the guy at the very beginning with the, uh, who kind of like interviews Jack Nicholson for the job or the, uh, Oh no, I'm talking about in, in, in Excelsior. the Excelsior hotel. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. I'm right. talking about the giant tooth shaga. They, they seem <laughs> well put together. Yeah. They're, they're doing their best. <laughs> There's a lot of sort of like horror movie style imagery, definitely. There's some things that, that we really don't see that seem to be kind of explicitly, maybe maybe not forbidden, but just things that aren't really part of the visual language. So there's things like, you know, 3D rendering or kind of like real photography or anything like that. Like there's a limit on how kind of realistic or unrealistic you want to get, right? Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think Jeff can probably speak to that more than I could. I don't think we're limited necessarily in uh, in how real we make the art. I think it, it really it's always the emotional context. Uh, we have some artists that yeah. that really uh, produce amazingly uh, realistic art, who uh, who just are never going to disappoint us with telling us uh, an emotional story. So uh, the, the 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 issue is to make sure that they're uh, bringing to um, the front the, the the emotional aspect of the story in whatever way that they want and uh, they th- th- that their style leads them to. 
And uh, I'm perfectly comfortable with something that looks very real and is very scary and something that isn't very real and is very scary, as long as it's telling a really Mm. fun story, you know? Yeah. I I think it goes to what you were saying before about like finding the right artist for Mm -hmm. the right, you know, style for the right piece. Um, Like every artist has their own, uh, not just their own art style, but their own like professional techniques and like what programs they use and like what style they use, what mediums they use, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's not it's not about like telling them what medium to use. It's about finding which medium is best for which piece. Right. Um, I think that's a good way of putting it, right? Sure. And <laughs> some of the uh, some of the elements, some of the components of our games are, are uh, don't require you to uh, um, uh, to be as expressive as others. We have investigators that we really are kind of an exposition of a character, and that that character isn't necessarily yeah. always in the middle of something uh, horrible happening. You know, so you're pulling that character out and you're applying, you know, your own personality to that character. You're finding something in them that you really like. So the artist really is just going to, they're going to make a compelling character and like a good character in a movie, you know, I mean, the, the not no horror movie really starts uh, doing awful things to uh, its protagonists. You know, I mean that the, the tension has to build. And uh, I think this game does that too. You know, it gives you, you know, a, a uh, someone that you really believe is a real, you know, has a, a you know three dimensions as a person, and then you put them into something horrible, and you and that and that means <laughs> that has more meaning. <laughs> I'm Chase laughing yeah. because I'm always yeah, absolutely yeah. I break out laughing when we read these briefs. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know why, but it, they're always so funny to me. <laughs> it's always great, like it's always great when we get to one that's really gruesome. And everyone just turns to me and they're like, what is wrong with you? It's unique. I'm just like, yeah. It's darling. I just love it. It's tremendously fun. Yeah. It's I, great. I mean, you're kind of mentioning that now. The more, Some of the more grotesque and maybe some of the heavier themes of Arkham Horror, some of these kind of take the form of, of weaknesses or, or like uh, visceral art, for example, from the, uh, the Witch Trials eras or these these more dark themes of of just being a human in general and and how do you work to make the art continue to convey its darker theme while also being cognizant of an audience who might be sensitive to some specific topics i know you mentioned that there was a sensitivity panel that also kind of reviewed this type of stuff too so that's part of it is we have that panel who's who can step in when something things like you know it might not this might be touchy or something like that and, you know, very grateful for that because sometimes I don't see it at first um, and it requires someone else to point it out to me. And I'm like, oh, right. Yes, you're right. Thank you. I will not depict that. Um, but a lot of times it's also the rules of horror help with that. And so, for example, it's always scarier to show the moment before or the moment after a spooky thing than to show the spooky thing. So, for example... We don't have to worry so much about depicting, like, very grotesque body horror with, like, a stabbing, for example, because it would be spookier to just not show that and to just show, like, a person lying in a pool of blood that, like, evokes more horrifying imagery than actually showing the image. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true for a lot of, like, body horror stuff. Of course, in the past, I've been known to uh, cross the body (laughs) horror line from time to time. Path to Carcosa, for sure. There was definitely a recent card. I, I forget which one, but there was a recent card with something about to go into somebody's eye that I. Oh yeah, that one's yeah. But I, again, it's it's about <laughs> to happen, right? It's, we're not actually showing it. Yeah, that's Carcosa. Path to Carcosa. 
Um, yeah. Big fear of mine in particular. But a lot of times also we, we try to focus on the fantasy horror aspect of things too. And depending on the scenario that, that can be easier or harder. So like the dreamlands was one in particular that was like very fantastical and like had a horror overtone, but it was still very almost whimsical in, in some instances. And we, we would actually go find like different artists sometimes to work on those pieces to make sure that the tone was conveyed, uh, that it had like a, a different tone. Um, and every campaign kind of had, kind of has its own tone, right? Like TFA is very pulp actiony horror, Indiana Jones style kind of horror. And Circle Undone is a lot more grim and a lot more dark and a lot more like, like, ooh, you know, that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, some of those, like, yeah, you mentioned Dream Eaters, like Wondrous Lands looks like it exactly. could have been from uh, like the Lord of the Rings yeah. game or something like that, you know? Yeah, we used yeah. the Lord of the Rings yeah. artist. And, uh, and, and I think we used some oh, of really? our artists for some of that too, right? Yes, we did. For yeah. some of the uh, Search for Kadath locations in particular. Yeah, that was a really good observation. It's just great how each of the campaigns has a different kind of look, a different, uh, you know, color, color theme. Yeah. And everything. Oh, it's yeah. Really I, I actually skipped a step. The first thing we do before we do any of the stuff I mentioned earlier is we have a concept meeting. Ooh. And during the concept meeting, um, I explain conceptually what like the tone of the campaign is going to be, where it's going to be set, what like influences the artist should be looking towards and so- that sort of thing. And that's a nice like sort of jumping off point for for me and for uh, the art directors to to figure out like what um, what their artist pool should look like and what kind of you know styles they can draw upon right yeah definitely speaking of colors yeah we we did have one uh very critical question that we've been <laughs> i know that this isn't directly related to art this is maybe more graphic design but uh ben do you have uh you we have a question we want to ask right we tried to get this answer out of Jeremy when we talked to him like last year. Uh, what color is Seekers? <laughs> is it yellow or orange? <laughs> I would say yellow, but I'm it's not. Very critical. That is a graphic design question for sure. Although it makes me, it makes me right. go back to the shut up and sit down review for Arkham where they're going through the various <laughs> versions of purple and they're like, is it just purple? Oh, it's just purple. <laughs> yeah i don't um i don't know what shade that is specifically that's a level of like color knowledge that i don't have um that like mercedes would definitely have uh who's our managing uh graphic designer but i don't know (laughs) i would say yellow (laughs) can you can you get mercedes to do an ama or something because we just we really (laughs) want to get a definitive answer to this question not Uh, an ama an am that question (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly i'll run it by her and i'll get back we also not to go not to go too deep into the graphic design rabbit hole but there is one other thing we, we just wanted to mention really briefly i think you know when i first opened up the corset when it came out the the visual thing that kind of like just struck me immediately maybe this is is weird but the the backs of the cards were just so striking and so cool looking and so distinctive oh, compared yeah. to other card games i i know this i know this was a while ago but do you remember sort of like what went into the design of those card backs in particular? Oh yeah. Um, so all of the graphic design for the cards, for the card templates, the backs and the fronts were done by Mercedes and uh, uh, Evan Simonet. And I mean, obviously they both knocked it out of the park, like ridiculously <laughs> so. Um, but I remember the card backs in particular being something that was iterated upon many, many, many times. I think the version that we ended up with was like version 12 or something like that. 
Um, oh, wow. They had all kinds of different versions. There was, at one point, it had the logo on it. At one point, it had like the, the name of the game and different fonts on it. And eventually, it was, it was, um, it was settled on to just have those like, like the sort of cosmic theme for the player cards. And then mm. the very, very creepy sort of, it almost looks like the back of it, like a tome or something. And it's got like the tentacles like coming in. Like all of the encounter cards have this feeling of like encroaching, like claustrophobia, mm. right? And I think the the back of the cards really speaks to that. It's pretty important, right? Because it's something that the players are just always seeing on the board. Oh, yeah. Every single game. 100%. Yeah. And and you're looking at the back and you're kind of like trying to guess what's behind it, right? That's like the sort of hidden part that you're it's scary because you don't know what's on the other side, right? right? Yeah. And we like we want both of them oh, to convey horror, but we want the encounter cards to feel really horrifying, mm. but the player cards to feel like a little vague, like this could be good or this could be bad, right? And that's kind of so it's got the cosmic theme which is definitely like a theme of horror in Arkham Horror. Um, like the cosmos is a cold and unfriendly place, but it also has sort of brilliant colors and like it, it doesn't look depressing. It looks like almost a little uplifting in a way, but I can't speak to that quite as much as they could. I don't know exactly like what every iteration looked like. I just kind of vaguely remember like all of the various iterations. Graphic design is a dark art. (laughs) (laughs) It is some sorcery. And so is what you do for that matter, where sometimes like Jeff will edit a piece uh, and it's just like wizardry to me. It's just like, what? You just changed? No. How did you do that in in less than an hour? I don't understand. (laughs) It's, um, yeah. <laughs> on that note yeah we, we wanted to just dive a little bit deeper and ask about like specific types of cards when you're kind of like you know roughly what what card you're trying to make you you're starting to come up with like the art brief for it if you're working on a location like what are you really trying to get across in the the art brief and the final art for mm. like a location specifically that's a good question so all of the card types have like their own set of rules that we try to stick to uh for locations for example we 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 want to avoid putting figures in the piece because we want you to imagine your investigator in there, right? So we want you to sort of self-insert your investigator in the art piece. And if it's got a bunch of people already in it, then that tends to make that difficult. Unless the location's theme is that it's crowded or packed or there's a lot of people there. And we want to convey that there's a lot of people there. You're not the only person there, right? So that's a consideration that we always have. And really, it kind of depends on the location and the scenario that it's in. Sometimes we want to always just have something creepy going on in a location piece, but other times we want to really showcase a place that we think is cool Um, and not necessarily just like kind of hit you in the face with some horror, but like, just be like, check out Mont Saint-Michel. Isn't this place beautiful? (laughs) Right? Like, don't you want to go there? And yeah, exactly. And like, that's kind of, we want people to want to, we want people to, at the end of that scenario, be either one of two things, either, oh, I never want to be in that situation, or, oh, I totally want to go there. You know what I mean? Like, that's the two <laughs> emotions. The, the last thing we want is for someone yeah. to play through a scenario and be like, I don't really care about that place. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is a, this brings up yeah. a really important uh, point that uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to address. Location is really one of the characters in all of our uh, Arkham yeah. art. And uh, uh, it's uh, it, it. I think you can immerse yourself in this, this game precisely because uh, uh, these are such delicious locations. 
You know, I mean, we can't actually go there anymore. Uh, uh, that's all been buried and built over. But we can in our imaginations. And uh, these are really fun. I mean, this was a really fun time. You know, the, the 20s and, and uh, early 30s were just unique uh, to uh, uh, to the world's history. And uh, the, the, the visual treat of just walking the streets mm. anywhere in the world at that time was uh, very different than what we're experiencing now. And really exotic and a, a story in and of itself. Yeah. Mm. And I don't think you'll, you you can pull out a good Arkham piece that doesn't have a, an interesting location. You, it, you know, uh, there are very few of them. Let's yeah, that and way. I mm. think you brought up something also that I missed, which is very important, which is that location pieces are the main avenue by which we convey the time period, uh, the 1920s. Um, so mm-hmm. it's very important that we make sure to include elements that make players remember and feel like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's the 1920s. You know what I mean? Whether it's like street signs and and cars and lamps and stuff like that, or whether it's you know uh, places that simply don't exist anymore for whatever reason, um, that's an important thing for the game. Absolutely, I know for me locations. I think initially when I played, I didn't look at them too closely, but um, often because I'm kind of sometimes the game master trying to figure out all the rules. But sure. when I go back and play through, I noticed a lot of the fun details. Like I think. Uh, it was in like Black Stars Rise. There's like the monastery place, yeah. a clo- cloister or something. Cloister, yeah. And like I was like, oh, it's just like a little monastery, and there's a you know there's a guy hanging out there. And then when you and I go back and look at, it, I was like, oh, that's the, must be the monk, right? It's, his <laughs> arms are kind of long. Kinda... It's interesting. Wait a <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. nice. So that that really hammered home. Would you like to say, oh, I got to pay very close attention to these locations because there's there might be a lot a yeah, lot more to convey yeah. there. And depending on the scenario, sometimes yeah. the locations can tell the story too. Um, and Black Stars Rise is one in particular where like there was a common sort of thread of like what's going on in that scenario story wise that we wanted to mm. convey. And the best way to convey that was through the various locations, like in every single location piece. It's raining and storming, and there's this like cyclone uh, in the sky, this dark mm-hmm. vortex. And uh, if you see that in every art piece, it sells it. You know, you see it, and you're like, "That's happening for mm-hmm. sure." It's not just like a random event in like one art piece. You know? Yeah, that that consistency. Yeah. So the other type of card that kind of uh, sort of sets the stage for for scenarios really is like acts and agendas. Mm-hmm. So what what goes into the the design process for the art on an act or an agenda card? So those are yeah those are actually two of the toughest cards I would say, um, partly because uh, the the template for the art is so like tall and thin, mm. and partly because it's like really it's. The main avenue by which I tell like the events of like what's happening specifically. Um, so I'll generally, actually, a lot of times I'll, I'll use pickup art for those if if it's set in a location that like we have art of already. I'll I'll find some art and like you know frame it na- nicely into that into that card type. But when I am when we're commissioning new art, it's it's about like what's the most important thing what's the most important like story beat event that I can tie into here, right? Like for Lair of Dagon, uh, spoilers, for Lair of Dagon, the act piece is Thomas Dawson <laughs> kind of going through like with his gun drawn. I, I did a, you, you viewer or listeners can't see what I just did, but I, I mimed it. And um, Finger guns. Right. Yeah. And I thought that that was a cool way to represent like what Very the well. investigators are doing because uh, – you both go off separately and do that. So it's like, oh, that, right. It's a reminder that he's still around. He's still back there doing what you're doing. 
but also, no, nothing bad will happen to him. So. Right, nothing bad will happen to him. <laughs> and it's a good representation of like what you're doing. And the agenda is usually the opposite. With the agenda, it's usually like an enemy is doing something or it's just symbolic, uh, metaphorically representing what bad thing is happening. Or sometimes it's neither of those things and it's just like a backdrop, right? If it's like this whole scenario is set in the witch house, then the agenda piece might just be the witch house. It might just be like a picture of the place you're in mm-hmm. as like a zoomed out hole, right? Uh, as opposed to just like, you know, one room of the witch house or something like that. The art on each, correct me if I'm wrong, the art on each like agenda in a stack is always the same, right? For each scenario? Generally, yeah. Generally, the art is the same. Sometimes it will change. Uh, the one that comes to mind is uh, in the, what's it called? Uh, Death's Doorstep, uh, where we had the the sort of like normal world and then like the ghostly nether world which mm. uh that was one that like me and jeff were on the same page that entire time is great um and yeah we did it we did a different version of that act card because when we traveled to uh to that alternate world i wanted like all the figures are gone and everything looks horrible <laughs> you know what i mean um, it was it was fun. yeah but it was just on the act card because the agenda was the tarot piece right one thing that we also enjoy about the acts and agendas is kind of like when you flip the actor agenda and you see just oh, kind yeah. of this big landscape image. Um, I know like in Union of Disillusion, spoilers, and uh, Untamed Wilds, it's kind of like a very memorable moment when you're not really expecting that. You just kind of like set up the act deck or an agenda deck as normal. And then when you get there, it's like this this kind of like breathtaking sort of maybe like a turning point in the campaign or like a nice visual introduction to what we're going to be getting into. We, we, we just love that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up. That was actually so that was something that me and um, and Zoe in the core set um, that I really pushed for because I wanted that moment when Ermordoth comes out right for the first time to be a really like uh, mic drop sort of moment. Right. And one of the ways in which we conveyed that sort of emotion was when you flipped over an agenda card and you didn't know what was going to happen next. And I thought it would be really cool if when you flipped over the agenda card, you had a huge full art piece. And she loved that idea so much. She actually like we actually like hard coded that into into the game in the core set. And we actually have a word for it Uh, in development. We call that the tilt card. When you when you flip that over and you see that that's the tilt, that's the moment that everything you know, something really changes, something really dramatic. And we tend to save it for really important story beats or for uh, like the emergence of an ancient one, for example, uh, or like, you know, a really important, like a betrayal or a, um, Mm. you know, some ritual succeeded or something. And so we'll, we'll actually commission those art pieces specifically for that template now, uh, which we didn't originally do. We just like, commissioned it like a at like card size and then i emergency went to graphic design it was like <laughs> can you come up with a crazy like template in like two days that looks like this and uh um and thankfully they did but now it's like something that we we try to do like once or twice per campaign usually like like i said like at a, at a really big moment and yeah we we call that the tilt <laughs> the tilt i love yeah. it we'll, we'll have to yeah. use that name from now on <laughs> So, so moving on just a little bit. So, uh, talking about the encounter deck, you know, enemies and treacheries. Um, what are what are you going for when you're sitting down to design a new enemy or treachery, like visually? Well, treacheries are pretty broad. I think treacheries are probably the easiest. Like, um, something bad happens to you, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's an event, uh, sort of, but for the bad guys, right? So it's 
Mm-hmm. It usually shows a scene, like an investigator, something bad is happening to an investigator, but that not always. Sometimes it's just spooky mist or, you know, sometimes <laughs> it's actually just an enemy piece, but like the enemy is not coming at you, the viewer. It's like skulking around a corner or doing something creepy uh, or even just patrolling around like the Ruguru, right? So treacheries are, I would say, pretty broad, like uh, among all of the card types that we do. Enemies are a bit more specific because as Jeff noted, like sometimes the the template can be uh, sort of a struggle to work with because uh, it's very short. So you can't just do like a person standing there because you're oh, going to yeah. get like most of their body cut off. So uh, Jeff works very closely with the artist and I'm sure that you can speak to that, but like to make sure that it has a really fun and dynamic angle and there's something cool happening and there, there's action. They're not just standing there. Um, I'm thinking of like the lodge enforcer who's just a guy in a trench coat with a sword, but he's not just standing there with a sword. He's like pulling it out and he's kind of hunched over and he fits so nicely in that frame. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. <clears throat> That's the hardest uh, uh, frame uh, to get artists to work in naturally. Uh, it, it's the one that requires the most direction. Typically, uh, we're very careful uh, uh, these days to make sure that the artists understand the opportunities that this uh, challenging template provides them for storytelling. And they take the and the artists that really uh, uh, take that on early in their sketches always end up with great successes. And uh, uh, it's yeah, it's super fun actually. Yeah, I've I've never had like a, a I think they've all turned out really good. Um, and it's really cool because. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, I think it was Mercedes's idea actually to make that enemy template, like the art is at the bottom instead of the top, which is pretty typical for a card game. Um, it really like, I don't know, it feels so like alien to a veteran card Mm. game player like myself. I see that art on the (laughs) bottom and it, it feels like they're opposing me, you know, just that subtle difference. It, It has like an emotional sort of like weirdness to it that makes you go like, oh, that's an enemy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and there are there are visual strategies that uh, the art department uh, uh, has to deal with that template. And you mentioned Dutch yeah. angles, and I bet if you're going to find a, 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 the the place where we use the most, it's in the enemy template because it gives the uh, it gives you the opportunity to represent a a, a vertical piece uh, in a, a relatively horizontal yeah. box, and uh, and it also is particularly well suited to what the enemy uh, uh, card is trying usually trying to represent. You know, that weird, you know, kind of a kilter, uh, uh, the psychology of, of the whole room tipping, uh, That's that's that plays into that card. Yeah. Right. It, it definitely makes them more threatening, for sure. Yeah, and I think it, it forces us yep. and the artist to use creative angles and uh, put the character in an action pose that I think helps to sell the horror. So it all kind of ties together in the end, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the other side of things, so I, I think probably the type of card that players, I don't know, I don't know if I would say love the most, but kind of feel the most like affinity and kind of emotional connection to is investigators or maybe other like allies and named characters. So when you're either, you know, reinterpreting a character that's already in the Arkham files or designing a new one, I imagine that's got to be like a really, really, you know, time intensive process, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's time intensive for me, because 
Uh, it's like I said before, it's not enough for me to just say like Skidzo Tool is walking around doing a thing because the artist isn't going to know who Skidzo Tool is, right? Um, or they might, but it's unlikely. Um, and it's not just <laughs> about me being like Skidzo Tool, see reference image. Sometimes I want to kind of help to sell the, the character, the flavor of the character through the description. So, um, you know, Mara Carrigan is firing his 20, his, you know, his, uh, his Thompson wildly into the air and there's an, a fury etched in his face because of the horrors that he has seen and he's vengeful like that. Okay. Now it's Mark <laughs> Harrigan, right? Now I see Mark Harrigan before it was just Mark <laughs> Harrigan firing a yeah. gun, but now I get it, you know? Mm. Um, mm. So, and uh, one of the other tricks that we use is we try to make sure that each investigator has like a costume, uh, not just each investigator, but every character really mm. has like their getup. And even if it's unrealistic for them to always be in that getup in every single piece, it helps uh, create an, like a through line for players to get to know those characters. And like, oh, I know that's Jenny Barnes because I, I recognize her pearls and her her dress and her hat. Um, and like, I know that that's like Stella and I know that that's like, et cetera, because um, they, they come to recognize what the characters mm-hmm. are wearing, which also helps for cosplay. It's really fun when they pop up with that recognizable getup in like the art of another card yes. that isn't their investigator card. We say, oh, yeah, that's Silas. You and know? it's funny because sometimes sometimes uh, an art piece will get made and people will be like, oh, yeah, cool. It's Amanda Sharp. And I'm like, that's no, not. Wait, what? Yes, it is. And I'm like, look, go, look, look. And I'm like, I can see why they think it's Amanda Sharp, but it's not. You know, or like it was never meant to be. Um, and then other times I'll like specifically make sure that a character gets in an art piece and like, like no one notices. <laughs> and I think that's really funny. But most of the time, like 99% of the time, it's like, uh, it's really cool when, when that comes together. You know what I mean? Definitely. And we see the, in the upcoming revised core set, we saw a reinvention of some of the classic investigators, right? Was that like a way to kind of redesign the characters a little bit or just like, you know, just kind of put a new fresh coat of paint on them, I guess. Yeah, it's more the latter. Uh, we're not reinventing any of those characters. Their backstories remain the same and all of their decks remain the same. It's more just like, let's get a new take on this character, uh, this beloved character. And they're not the only cards with, with new art in that site, in that um, box, but um, if we were going to replace anything, it was going to be like the most iconic characters because mm. that's going to be the most exciting for people to see new art of. And I think that Alexander really knocked them out of the park. Alexander Parks. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, that guy deserves a lot of attention. Yes. Uh, and he, again, is a person who spends so much uh, emotional energy on setting because those characters are beautifully painted, mm. but they're painted in, uh, they're in a setting in a moment of their lives and it's believable it's palpable that they're actually there and that's just super fun for me i can only imagine how fun it is for people that are playing the game to pick up a card that has that art on it and say oh my gosh that's real <laughs> yeah you know and it's not because it's it's realism it's because it's it's emotionally invested yeah, realism yeah i was gonna say i especially love the skids piece because uh when we were writing that one i was like all right what <laughs> what situation can we put skids in? Uh, I don't want it to just be him gambling again. Cause that's what, that's what the last piece was. So what can <laughs> we do? And I really wanted to sell the fact that he's an ex con, which the old art doesn't really sell. It's sold that he is a gambler. So uh, that I, and I think that like the idea that we came up with of him, like he, you know, he's in the police office having just been arrested. He's got the, the, um, the cuffs on and he's just looking like, 
You know what I mean? <laughs> just got that look on his face, like, <laughs> whatever. Like, I know I'm a good person. You know what I mean? And uh, there's so many little details in that art piece. There's like a fly in the in the in the mug, right? In the glass. I'm trying to remember. I think there's a fly in the glass, and I love it. <laughs> oh, we're we're gonna we're gonna maybe need magnifying glasses to see that one, just because it's a, on a little card. But that's that's exciting. Well, and, and and like uh, like Jeff it's said, um, Alexander brought so much detail into the the backdrop that you might not even see on the card because it might be cropped in so tightly. There's so there's so much. It's great. Is is this a good time to plug the uh, the the upcoming well not upcoming it's been released but the the art book where we can see larger uh, you know yeah, canvases of some of this in stuff? Fact, I have it right behind me. Uh, where is it? Yeah, it's right here. Yeah, d- d- yeah <laughs> I'm getting in my own copy. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so good, love it. Oh man, right. I somehow missed <laughs> that this, got our this existed. I have to order it still. Oh, look at that! <laughs> nice. It's really cool to see a lot of the words that I have written like yeah, in too. there too, like scattered around, which is pretty neat. Yeah, it's it's just it's always exciting to get to see you know the the art that in on an actual card is is so very small just to get to like observe all the details is is really really neat. There's so many details yeah. that you can't see at card size because it's so small in your hands and because you're busy you're playing the game. So a lot of times you you <laughs> glance at the art and it's like you said before I think like if you take the time to really look at them and like examine them there's so many cool details that you can see and there's so many like characters that you can fall in love with who may not even be named characters you know um like yeah, the dude definitely. on defiance you know um and characters like that who you can really like oh that's really cool you know or the poor arcane initiate that always gets sacrificed <laughs> yeah. before the uh, agenda rolls over <laughs> yeah. mj i don't know if you feel this way but i i get the I, I i strongly feel that this this game tells more visual stories than any game i've run across I mean, and the depth of, uh, of the visual storytelling is just, it's just unique to this game. I, I sure hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly a yeah. goal that we strive for, you know. I, I think from, from like the fan and player perspective, I think that's completely true. And I think that's a massive part of why we're obsessed with this game, nice. to be honest. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad. So nice. thanks so much again for coming on. We're kind of winding down, but before you guys go, um, we picked out a few cards that we're particularly fascinated with uh, from a visual point of view. And we wanted to just do kind of like a quick lightning round and just ask if there's anything you can tell us about the inspiration for these or, or the design process or what it was, uh, what it was like to work with the artist. Um, does, does that sound cool? Or be the artist. Oh, exactly. In some cases, we have the artist here in the call with us, right? right? Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, but it would have been so funny if you just did all Jeff Lee Johnson originals. Like, every single one. <laughs> that would have been great. It'd be really hard There's a lot me. of really good Jeff Lee Johnson art That's in this true. game, I gotta say. Um, and in Lord of the Rings. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> okay, so let's, uh, let, let, let's rattle these off. We're gonna try to do this, uh, relatively fast. So let's, let's start off with a, a Jeff Lee Johnson original. Yeah. So Ashley Clark from Carcosa. Ashley Clark. There's two, there's two versions of yeah, this, right? Yeah, yeah. So this was, um, back right. when, uh, Jeff was not an art director. He was a freelance artist working for us. And, uh, it was like, yeah, we wanted each of those characters to transform in a different hideous way. And, um, so, you know, like with the process with all of these cards, I wrote uh, a horrible, hideous way for her to transform. And I mean, Jeff just knocked it out of the park, right? 
I had a lot of fun with that one, I have to say. I feel like Arkham tells a story of a, a relatively normal world on the surface that if you pull the curtain back, uh, there's a horror ready to occur anywhere at yeah. any time. <laughs> And uh, I love, I mean, the, the assignments that you guys gave me always had to do, uh, I felt, with presenting something that it, at least looks normal until uh, it just that until that one moment when everything kind of falls apart and turns into something yeah, awful, yeah. which is, of course, makes me laugh out loud all the time. And it was great, too, because I, I, I remember I had to be like, all of the people watching need to, in the second piece, need to be like... Yes, this, this still sounds great. I'm not alarmed at all because that's that's the theme of this campaign is like you're seeing things and you don't know if it's real or not. And I remember that being like a specific direction that Jeff was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, they're all like, oh, I love this song. It's also a great one for the period detail we were talking about yeah, earlier because there's yeah. the microphone, the clothes, the chandelier. Yes, yeah. And, and you know, it's partly a lot of people's responsibilities, but one of my responsibilities is finding those reference images to supply to the art director and uh, by proxy to the artist. So like, you know, finding the right kind of microphone is, is partly my responsibility and partly um, now Jeff's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next one we wanted to ask about uh, a very surreal location from one of our favorite <laughs> scenarios, recesses of your own minds from Dim Carcosa, oh, I think, right? That one's so cool. Return to, yeah, yeah, return to, to Dim Carcosa. That was one of my favorite pieces because conceptually, I I really wanted to tell this like this story of the three different endings of Carcosa, right? The one being like it's all in your head. Uh, sorry, spoilers. One being um, <laughs> it's it's real and it's all you're in Carcosa for sure. And the other being like it's all still a play, <laughs> you know. And so you go to either the throne room, the the stage of the theater. And then for the third one, I was like, how do I represent that this is all in your head? Is it just like a void? Like, what is it? And so I came up with this idea of, you know, it's in it's inside your mind. And I actually pulled from a little bit from my childhood in coming up with like what would be represented on the piece. So uh, I think the framing of it was more the artist and, and Jeff, right? But I think like the individual, like, oh, like a mm-hmm. bike and a lamp and a, you know, like this kind of home in a tree. Right? We, I think we made some general suggestions and then the artist yeah, composed. I think within, the artist really ran with it. Yeah, did a really, really good job. It's a dream and it's a little bit horrible. Yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't think I really specified too much of the detail. I think the artist really took the idea and ran with it, which is a pretty common thread, I think, with some of these like abstract pieces. Yeah, it, it came out really, really amazing for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next one up is uh, we have a, we have a lot of treacheries on here, I think, because the art for those just tends to be really, really fascinating to us. So this is uh, Extra Dimensional Visions, which is a hex. Yeah, so that was another one that was... <laughs> so that's one where I actually pulled a lot from the source material, where I basically took the quote from the original Dreams in the Witch House and just included it in the art, like, show someone experiencing these kinds of visions and you know Mm. like the expression on their face um and again like the artist took it and ran with it but a lot of the specific details i i actually omitted and just let the text speak for itself because if there's one thing lovecraft was very good at it was describing just (laughs) the wackiest stuff for someone to possibly (laughs) see you know what i mean absolutely Yeah. yeah yeah Ethan Patrick Harris, I think, specifically, is a person who both Harrison yes. and I actually just love. I remember every single time I see art 
and and it's and it's one of his. I'm like, God, this art is incredible. And then and I'm like, who is this? And then I look at it. It's like, there it is again. I I think I mentioned (laughs) earlier that we have a half a dozen artists that can take an impossible brief and 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 turn it into something amazing. Ethan is one of them, you know. And I'm often telling him, Hey, I've got another impossible brief for you. (laughs) Great, send it over. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm sorry about this. It, while we're talking about how much we love these cards, we should of course be crediting the the, the artist yes. that, uh, that that yes. that created them. So we we talked about uh, you know Ashley Clark was Jeff Lee Johnson, of course. Recesses of your own mind. Uh, I apologize. I'm, this is a difficult to pronounce. Frey Ajali. Frey yeah. Ajali. Sorry. Yeah, there mm-hmm. it is. And and then of course yeah, Ethan Patrick Harris for Extra Dimensional Visions. Amazing. Okay, so the next one is I, I think this might be the single visual uh, art piece that, <laughs> from the game that we've talked about the most on this podcast, oh, goodness. which is which is a uh, Meddlesome Familiar <laughs> from Circle <laughs> and Done, yep, which depicts which depicts Brown Jenkin, and this is by Stephen Summers. Oh, good Stephen Brown Jenkin. Stephen is just such a good. It's just job. terrifying. Yeah. So I mean, you look at this piece and you're like, what? But it's so disturbing. I mean, that's in the source material, right? Like Brown Jenkins got a man's face. <sighs> Um, and Steven Somers really ran with that. He's like, yep, it's got a man's face. So he's just has like, it's not like a, it's not like a rat man. It's like, it's a man's face. And that just makes it so much more disturbing. You know, I think there's something about the sockless ankle too, that disturbs me. I can't quite I don't know. That alone is just a problem. And And the teeth. Yeah. And the teeth. Oh. We, I remember. It's, it's very disturbing. We have, uh, uh, we share in the studio uh, 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 art that we highlight uh, uh, every week, and uh, this this ended up on the yeah. monitors, and it uh, <laughs> it elicited quite a reaction. Let's put it that way. I bet it did. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be careful putting that Arkham art on that weekly Woo! email blast because yeah. um, some people don't want to see that <laughs> on a I Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of spit takes. It's so funny. Yeah. Oh man, Middlesome familiar. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, look at this amazing, like ah. this really wondrous and fantastical keyforge art, and then look at this, you know, really awesome L five R landscape, and then oh god! <laughs> wow, what a, what a, this is? Yeah, it's really an all timer, and it, it sounds like just about everybody has a strong reaction to it, which is that's what it's going for, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve is laugh out loud funny. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so the next one is it's another treachery uh, from I think from Innsmouth, right? It's I can't see by uh, yeah. Romana Ken- Kendelich. I can't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is this is one I think that highlights sort of that philosophy that I said before that it's always scarier to see the moment before or after um, sort of the horrifying event. Um, uh, although we did just see <laughs> the brown chicken like immediately digging and teeth into. But anyway, so like this is one where I thought it was cool instead of just showing the person like, oh no, I can't see, and they're swerving or whatever. Um, we'll show the darkness sort of creeping in and leave it to the player's imagination, A, what the end result is, and B, what that even is. Like, is that a creature, an entity? Is it just, like, a creepy environmental thing that's happening? Like, it's sort of ambiguous, and that's left uh, up to the player's imagination on purpose. Yeah. And another aspect of it that you can't forget is that there's just a very nice portrait of, of someone in that era. Too, you know, and that's that a great it. profile. Beautiful <laughs> profiles are not easy to do. Very, mm-hmm. very cool scarf. People don't really wear that kind of thing anymore, but they should. Awesome it looks, scarf. it looks great. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great that you can convey the speed. Yeah, just through that scarf. 
I thought that was really cool. Like very clever. Is that the kind of detail that the artist probably came up with to convey the speed or would that have been in the brief originally? That's a tiny detail. Um, it might be hard to remember. I don't remember if it was in this instance. I mean, I, I think that that's something that that's the kind of thing that would usually come up in the grooming meeting when mm. me and Jeff are sitting down and like all of the developers and all of the artists and the our art directors and the producer are all sitting down in one meeting. Um, I might write a brief that like sounds really cool on paper, but then the art directors look at it and they're like, I don't think that's going to work. You know, I don't think that's going to convey what you think it's going to convey because of X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. um, can we add this little detail that makes it all sing? That's the kind of, that's what that meeting is for. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that might be something that came from that meeting. I don't know. It might have also just been something that Romana put in, you know. There's such a harsh contrast between the delicate frame and, and feeling of this person and then the kind of encroaching, uh, wrathful sort of like vines or, or tendrils. Kind of, It's kind of unclear, but it's, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah, that's well put. Uh, you know, we pick her uh, often uh, when we when we have a character that we really want to portray. I mean, she's such a she's a very gifted portraitist, and uh, um, she always yes. delivers the goods in creating again this be very believable character. And there's the pathos in that face. You know, you have to care about that person. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, that that's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, Romana also does the best Hobbit art. Oh, that's yeah. that's good to know. I gotta yeah. say. For, for, yeah. for Lord of the Rings. Lots of good Hobbit art. Um, yeah. Okay, so our next one is uh, another Jeff Lee Johnson original. This is Maddening Delusions, also from, from Return to Carcosa. It's like the Jeff Lee Johnson art, right? <laughs> like, this is like your most popular piece. It's shocking. It's so cool. There's so much detail in it. This is a piece of art that I've seen on the internet far before it even was in this game. I've just seen it yeah. all over the place. And I was like, this Every is so Every year or so, it just hits the front page of Reddit yep. again. Yeah. And every time Jeff is like, oh, that piece is on the front page of Reddit again. <laughs> and, I'm, and he's like, can you tell me how to get to Reddit again? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I might like uh, my son's you, trying Jeff. to show me how to use Reddit and I don't know how to do it. And yeah, it's so frustrating. <laughs> it's awesome. I just want to enjoy it. I, I can't go there. But yeah, that was a really fun piece. Uh, uh, again, this is a, this is a perfect uh, uh, metaphor for what I think is the funnest thing about Arkham is Everything, you know, the, the, we have, we're living in this universe that looks particularly very normal. I mean, I grew up in a very, you know, idyllic Midwestern kind of uh, environment. And yet, you know, there's a, 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 the, the multitude is in us all. And, uh, and we're not, none of us are very far from it, uh, something horrible. And uh, the, the, the fun thing in this piece was I was directed to uh, uh, create a scene that, that, that just shows a normal, a normal picture on the surface. But the closer you look, there's just something... I mean, you, you peel back the layers and it gets more and more awful as you go. And, and then you realize, you know, uh, this is horrible. I've, I've, I've said before that I think the most uh, uh, terrifying thing that could happen, you know, the, the dream that I'm always imagining is getting on a bus and, and uh, you know, uh, being bustled to my uh, uh, seat and, uh, and sitting down and then getting all my stuff set up to go and bus takes off. And then I realize I'm just surrounded by awful things. Oh, that's a <laughs> Carnival of Souls, maybe a little bit. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that, and I love if you can tell a story like that, a visual story like that. And this one looks like it was like part of a series. It's like on your website, you have like a couple of them that. Uh... I think there's <laughs> There's one on the beach, correct? There's one on the beach. Yeah. There's one in like beach a hotel. One, there's the street, the city street. And the city and street. The have the other ones been used yeah. in the card game? Maybe that's a secret. I don't know. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. They're very cool, though. <laughs> well, thank you. Maybe we'll see them at some uncanny, point. Uncanny, I think, is the word that comes to mind. Like, mm. uncanny valley sort of terror. Yes! Oh, yeah, I'm staring at them now, and I just keep noticing new horrible things. 
<laughs> oh, good. Excellent. <laughs> Next up, we, we have a very memorable encounter card that is kind of cryptic. It's a Psychopomp song from Dunwich with art by Stanislav Dikolenko. Mm. I love this piece. Um, it's evocative. Yeah, this is a cool piece because um, this is one, again, that I think that, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was Zoe who was art directing at the time because this was like early Dunwich. And it was that same sort of philosophy. I was like, I was struggling to come up with how do I show like a whippoorwill like sucking the life out of somebody with its song without just it looking kind of goofy, right? <laughs> like it had the potential, right, to look kind of goofy. And also I was worried that like part of the thing is that like the, the whole thing with the whippoorwills is it's a superstition. Mm. So I don't necessarily want to like de facto confirm it on an art piece and be like here's a whippoorwill with its mouth open and you're and like you see like a soul getting sucked into it or something like that. i mean like i think it's a lot cooler and more impactful to just see the body and yeah. then there's a whippoorwill just like nearby <laughs> and you have to put two and two together yourself you know um and i actually love that it's like <laughs> right on his face <laughs> so disrespectful it's, it was kind of the same reaction for me Whereas, like, oh, there's a bird so sitting the on the disrespect of that whippoorwill. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the full moon in the background illuminating everything, too. Right. The full moon. And it's it's one of those cards that, like, you see the art piece and you're like, okay. And then it's not until you see the art with the title, the trait, and the and the, the text box. It all comes together. Mm. It's, it's not just about the art. It's about the whole story that the card is telling. Um, all of it combined, really, is what what like makes it really i was gonna say what makes it sing which is kind of funny that, but yeah, oh perfect. nice that was my line i did it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'll be taking the role of really bad puns <laughs> <laughs> and stanislav if you ever want to uh, have somebody paint a, a, a decaying corpse he's your man <laughs> well we'll have to keep it's that in mind very specific yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we've got a, a, another encounter card from Innsmouth. This is a more recent one that we, we talked about a lot and we're very fascinated by. Uh, Hideous Lullaby by Alvaro Calvo yeah. Escudero. I love this piece. Um, so this scenario, Light in the Fog, uh, was partially developed, like sort of the foundations of it were laid by uh, an intern who was working with us at the time, uh, Duke who came up with sort of this uh, idea to put in, to include, like, the entire life cycle of a deep one. Uh, from, like, so you see, like, the hatchery with its eggs, you see the baby, like, hatchling deep one, and then you see the, the like, the nursemaid uh, sort of deep one who, like, cares for the young, and it makes you, like, it makes you kind of feel really, like, creeped out, doubly so, because it's not just deep ones mm -hmm. it's like this is an entire um like it's people civilization yeah. almost that is like trying to single-handedly like take over the world <laughs> right with with by flooding the earth and like killing all of us so that their brethren can take over and it adds like the subtle element of horror that i think is really cool so this is one of those cards that was meant to sell that flavor and um, I especially love how happy they look. It's just so like it's adorable. It's so creepy. They look happy, so but also terrifying. Like, still, they're terrifying, <laughs> and, and it's like it's the kind of thing. It's like you know what it reminds me of a little bit. It reminds me a little bit of like the Gazorpazorp alien from Rick and Morty. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's like yeah, kill all the humans, right? 
death, destruction. <laughs> and um, it's just like, it looks so happy. And But then like with the hatchling, especially it's like you zoom in and you see it's like eating a human ear and you're like, oh God, I have to defend myself. <laughs> I didn't even know that was happening. Not in this oh, one. The other, in the, in the other, other one, it's true. Yeah, in the anime piece. <laughs> Deep one, baby hatchling, plushy when is the question yeah. <laughs> yes i know right oh it's just the uh, best we all we all had a hoot the whole art department had to crowd around deborah garcia's uh, computer because she was the art director for this and uh, and just <laughs> it, 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 adore these horrible creatures what a point of view yeah and like you you don't have to kill them too you can just kind of leave and that's probably probably for the best absolutely um, that's the pacifist right. uh, the pacifist ending yeah definitely <laughs> yes yeah uh okay we have one more encounter card also for minsmith this is i this one is incredible we, we love this one absolutely macabre memento with art by diana yeah. martinez which is just a, a a green skull looks like sitting at the bottom of the ocean or in some kind of submerged area coral formation something. yeah yeah so this was this was kind of another cool egg uh metaphorical piece where i was trying to convey the idea of like what um almost kind of like what death would look like for you in this moment Mm. um of like you know if the flood level rises enough and you get trapped in this like pit because i think the first time this appears is in the pit of despair scenario so i yeah i kind of want to convey like this could mean a number of different things right this could mean like you're stumbling across this memento and it's scaring you. That's like the 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 obvious right like interpretation. But then there's a more subtle interpretation of like this is you in the future if you fail, right? Um, and for me, as someone who's highly uh, thalassophobic and hates the idea of like underwater <laughs> caves and like underwater <laughs> caving, I have now designed no less than three scenarios in different games in Lord of the Rings and in this game about underwater caves and. <laughs> God help me if I have to do a fourth one. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. That's but yeah, this, this creeped me out when I was writing it, so I'm glad that I'm glad that it connected with you. It is it is almost like a almost like a tarot card with the multiple interpretations a little bit, right? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. For a lot of treachery cards, it's easy to do that sort of thing. Yeah, like there's a there's a direct meaning and like a more figurative one. So last, uh, we, we we'll try to wrap this up. We have just a couple of player cards we wanted to ask about. Um, first is uh, stargazing with art by the previously mentioned Adam S. Doyle, which is really beautiful. Love Adam. Yeah, this is a cool card because, um, again, with the the sort of cosmic theme, um, it's a player card, and we wanted to convey the horror of the cosmos, but we also wanted to convey the the spectacle of it right like the vastness of it and the the mesmerizing nature of looking up at the stars um and i especially love that she's looking in the wrong direction if she wants to scare right definitely just looked closer at the sky yeah, for the first time head to the right she's gonna freak out a little bit but yeah um and i think the environment's really cool uh this sort of like tiny house in the middle of like an arctic lake it just it seems so forlorn. I mean, the, the the space is so well defined. Adam is another one of those people that we give very difficult briefs to uh, because he can he can create those uh, uh, that connection between uh, uh, to that difficult story that we're trying to tell that isn't quite easy to spell out. Yeah, this is also one of those rare cards where the the color scheme matches the the template. Mm. Um, which is not always a coordinated effort on our part, but sometimes we'll go out of our way to do that, and it's very cool. I was going to say, it's strange that, I mean, the, the frame is purple and the image is purple, and somehow it perfectly matches despite being sort of different purples. It's incredible. 
Hmm. Yeah, there's a couple cards like that. Uh, one other one that comes to mind is Harmony Restored uh, in the Innsmouth Cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a survivor card with a very reddish sort mm. of template, and it just looks really cool. That is really neat. And uh, okay, so so one last uh, one last player card to ask about. So uh, Essence of the Dream uh, from from Dream Eaters uh, by Ethan Patrick Harris, who we who we talked about earlier. There's so much going on here, and it's it's just incredible. I love looking at this one. Yeah, this uh, this one's fun because we brought up the the other Ethan Patrick Harris piece, which was very much uh, like giving uh, giving him an excerpt from Lovecraft and then letting him run with it. Um, and this one was, uh, I think, even more like. So we didn't have a, like a Lovecraft quote that we pulled from. This was very much me being like the interpretation of this uh, this dream journal is coming to life. It's it's jumping off the pages. And I do remember specifying, like, here's some examples of things that you could depict. And it was like this and this and this and this. But overall, it was very much like, these are just examples and not, you know, the whole thing. So feel free to go crazy with it. And I think I even used that exact word or something <laughs> like that. And yeah, it's so cool. I love it. I had the pleasure to art direct both of those Ethan Patrick Hare pieces and the Adam Doyle piece and the Dan or Martinez piece as well. So, uh, uh, I mean, I feel like you picked some real winners there, some uh, very, very good uh, <laughs> uh, stories. Yeah, this um, this piece is also really cool to me personally, because it's a sort of subtle nod to the book that I was writing at the time. Um, wow. So <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool. That's really nice. Yeah, not the art, but like the title and the, yeah. the concept of it. And it was, I mean, I should mention, it was incredibly hard to narrow this down to even the long list of cards we ended up with, because you can really look at just about any card in this game and be incredibly impressed yeah. by the visuals of it. But yeah, the, these were these were just a few that we, we especially appreciated. And it's, it, we, we thank you, you guys a lot for kind of sharing more details with us. Thank you. Well, we thank yeah. the artists for being here. Actually, can I shout out to one other piece that I really like? Please. Uh, my favorite art piece in the game almost bar none, is Jacqueline's signature card, uh, Arbiter of Fate. And that's another one of those like metaphorical, abstract sort of pieces where it's like, Jacqueline can see the threads of fate, and she can see when one is snapping, and hot diggity. <laughs> like, <laughs> that piece is perfect. Talk about an extreme close-up, too. <laughs> yes, well, Jeff knows this. I love close-ups of eyes it's a trope that i use every set i swear to god and they'll call me out on it because i'll be like that's another eye close-up <laughs> i've done it like four times in lord of the rings i do it all the time in arkham i love it i love eyes they're so cool um they're, they're so expressive and there's so much that you can do with them so i, I kind of don't mind but this one is one in particular that i really like um th that one's uh pavel um help me out here jeff pavel kolomeyats pavel kolomeyats thank you Oh god, that's so cool. I love the her dizzy sort of eyes have this like mesmerizing look to them. I didn't even see that at first, but yeah, that's really neat. It's like she's having a psychic vision, so it's like she has this swirl in her eyes. It's very cool. Wow. The other the other eye piece that comes to mind for me anyways that was really really striking was Mind's Eye. I remember just sitting there and yes. when I opened the pack and I was just like, "Wow, this is amazing." <laughs> <laughs> The two, the two pieces, the, the two art briefs that I think I've written the most are a close-up of somebody's eyes where something is happening, or a an image of someone's mind being figuratively and literally blown. <laughs> like that. That's like my favorite. I think I wrote that exact sentence for one of them. I think it was um, 
glimpsed the unspeakable. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, her mind is being both figuratively and literally blown in a metaphorical sense. And, ah, uh, so cool. I love it. <laughs> Mind's eye is also Pebble. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, go. it is. What do you know? And uh, glimpse, the unthink- glimpse the Unthinkable, rather, is Brian Van- Valenzuela. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, thank you so much. That was that was really interesting. It's just really he- great to hear the kind of, uh, like, the stories behind some of these. Thank you. I, I'm always happy to talk about this sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Just one more time, a thank you to you both, MJ and Jeff, for taking the trek out to, uh, well, I guess to our Discord and, and joining us today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, a really warm thank you to all the artists who do work with MJ and Jeff on this game. We might not be able yes. to see you, but we do appreciate you. <laughs> this game wouldn't be what it is uh, any other way. Before we head out, is there any anything that you did want to plug, though? I, I am the proud owner of that, that newly released, aforementioned, Ar- The Art of Arkham Horror book. Mm, but is there anything yes. else that, that uh, you did want to plug? Um, not a plug, but I mean, a lot of these artists will be at conventions, uh, you know, when conventions are a thing that people start going <laughs> through again. Um, so if you're ever interested in meeting them in person, like uh, always look up your local conventions or obviously the big ones, Gen Con and Origins and stuff like that, and see if they're there. Uh, you never know. Sometimes they have prints that you can get signed of your favorite pieces and stuff like that. I even have a couple myself. I've got a Gondorian shield downstairs um, and some some fantastic uh, Magali pieces as well. And I will so. say that as as an artist, as a, as an illustrator, I will say that if you uh, uh, anybody that's listening here that reaches out to these artists to just express their appreciation, to talk about the stories that they appreciate, uh, this is enormously important to artists. We love to hear that stuff. It's the reason why we do it. We we're we kind of performers. We're storytellers, and we want to have an audience, and we want to know that the audience is. Uh, is getting out of the work that, what we put into it, and uh, uh, that that uh, is it's the bread and butter of of why we get up in the morning. You know, there are a lot of ways to make a yeah. living, but uh, to be able to tell a story that people never forget, that's just the best thing. Amen to that. Yeah. If you've got a favorite artist or a favorite piece of art, like go find the artist on Twitter and you know shout out to him. Yeah, they'll listen. That's that's terrific advice. Yeah. Well, with that, everybody, thank you so much again for coming on. And listeners, what is your favorite art in Arkham? Come hang out with us on our Discord and tell us. Reach out to us on Facebook, Reddit, or Instagram, or email us at comments at MUR.FM. If you really love our show and want to get more involved, join us on patreon.com slash University Radio to get access to exclusive Discord channels and other fun stuff. Or just leave us a nice review on your favorite podcasting network. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be safe, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye now.